Sarah and I have been reading, trying to stay up with our Bible reading, and I think we're reading in 1 Samuel. And a thought occurred to me how many times God's people are outnumbered by the enemy. You know, and I think they were fighting the Philistines for the Ark to come to get it back. Anyway, I've been pondering that for ever since this week. And then I came in and Jonathan helped me just a little bit, gave me some verses that show that with God's, with men that obey God, are they are they can defeat their enemies. Deuteronomy 20, 32, 32 verse 30 how shall how should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight except the rock has sold them and the Lord has shut them up I think the rock is Jesus and the Lord there again so God be with the one or the, t- the, the few to defeat the enemy. Leviticus 26, 8 And five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight and your enemy shall fall before you by the sword. And then Joshua 32, 10 One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God, He is that that fighteth for you and has promised you. All those scriptures being kind of, think about them, but two examples of a few fighting thousands are David being one man, having God on his side, defeated the Philistines and Goliath. And Gideon and his 300 people men chosen by God defeated 135,000 Midianites so there again if we obey God the few of us can defeat the enemy the Lord gets all the credit and glory when he uses just a few gives us too much to allow to think that we did it Brother Randy He's, he's put on something. That's okay. <laughs> Not mine the same in my office, so I won't have one. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Uh, good to be here. Thank the Lord we're all assembled together to praise His name. Uh, I just have a, a few words. Uh, uh, one of the sayings that Brother David said, I don't know, it kind of stuck with me. It said, uh, keep on trucking. You know, and that's a, a world, I guess, a worldly saying, but in a uh, great extent, it is true. And, and I come to the point as I was thinking and God was putting things on my mind. How do you do that? How do you, how do you keep going? Well, I got some good news for all y'all that love the Lord. His power remains the same regardless of the times that we're living in in this old world. We know sometimes we get down and in the dumps and things just don't go our way. But yet, He has given His children power.
to have an opportunity to, to live and share the great things about His creation, about His Word, and what He's done in our lives. And uh, I know for one, I need Him to bless me to do a better job of that. And and I ask the same for you all as well, that He would intervene in our lives and move us forward in what He's done. And, uh, you know, the Lord, uh, he, he created us to live and uh, walk in, in the way that the light of Jesus, you know, on this earth, it gets so dim. We need to uh, read and, and study the things that Jesus done, and, and He has told us to walk in the light. Because the earth we live in, our lives, because of what He has done for us, that is, He ordained His greatness towards us from the foundation of the world. Just that alone uh, moves me every day. <laughs> how how can we just praise such a great God and, and knowing that we are sinners and we make mistakes and we will make mistakes, but His dominion is forever that He set forth. And uh, I hadn't made it to Samuel yet, but I, I've been stuck in Ephesians. So I did have some verses I wanted to leave y'all with and maybe y'all... Uh, just remind y'all some things that I thought were great. Ephesians uh, 1, 19 through 21. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places? far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. What a blessing. And now also if you'll turn to chapter 6 that one came to me as well. Chapter 6 I'm going to go to uh, verse Ten. There's some things that we are told to do. Uh, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And uh, I come to the point, if I'm going to keep on trucking, that's where I need to be. I love y'all. First off, I love everybody here. And God loves you too. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't want to be here. I'm going to read Psalms 47. 
says, Clap your hands, ye people, shouting to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under his feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, and the Lord will sound a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises unto our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of our of the people are gathered together, even the people of the earth of Abraham. For the shield of the earth belong to our unto God. He is greatly exalted. And despite all the stuff that's going on in the world today, we know that the Lord is still over all of it. He can do anything he wants to. He can change anything he wants to if he wants to do it. But if he don't want to do it, he don't do it. The Lord loves us and he put us in this world and we got to live to do the best things that we can for him and for helping other people too. Because the, the Bible says that the, the poor will always be with us. Well, the rich is always going to be with us too. <laughs> and uh, the Lord will always be with all of us. And he loves all of us. And I love all of you. And God bless you. And I'm going to sit down. Those thoughts tremendously. I know it is not a not a small thing for your preacher to ask you to get up here and share, um, but it's good for us. Um, I have a very public role of leading and teaching, but you know, each man here has a very important role in their lives of leading and teaching their spouses and children. Um, and encouraging the men around them. And so y'all have been an encouragement to me. Um, and so I thank you for that. And I thank the Lord for you. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of James. It's been a few weeks since we've gone into our study there. We've made it almost to the end of chapter 4. And so, uh, but given that it's been been a minute or two, I had a sleep, and so let's kind of remind ourselves how we got here. James starts his letter with instructing these fellow believers to count it joy when they fall into diverse temptations. When you get trials and tests of your faith, he says you can count those as joy. That does not mean that they're necessarily going to be joyful or pleasant experiences. Um, Lord would uh, describe the chastening that he gives to his children as not being joyful, but rather grievous when you're going through it. But it does produce the fruits of righteousness. And so there is good that can come through your tests of your faith, trials and afflictions. And one of those good that can come is the growth of your patience. As you're maturing in your walk with Christ, your patience should grow. We should not be content to be as we are, you know, a toddler does not have much patience, right? You tell them no, 
and they go off the handle. You say, wait one moment. Now, that could be a, a daddy moment, which can be you know, anywhere from 30 seconds to 30 minutes. But there's very limited patience there. As an adult, as you grow up in your spiritual walk, we should grow in patience. Um, and, and one of the ways we do that is through the opportunities of the trials that we get. So, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect or mature and entire, wanting nothing. So it is part of you being grown up by the Lord. So it is okay to have trials and tribulations. It's promised you're going to have them. And so these are the ways you can account them as, as a good thing, is because the Lord can use those to your growth, to your patience specifically. And then it gives an admonition of if any of you are lacking wisdom, well, don't go to the world seeking answers. Go to the Lord. Ask Him. And unlike uh, someone who is in a position of authority who's very, um, let's say, worried about being dethroned, you ever had a boss where you went and tried to ask and learn and grow and they were afraid you were going to replace them? Well, they're not going to help your growth, right? They're going to say, hush, be quiet. What do you mean? I don't want to give you that information. That's above your pay grade. You know, y'all ever interact with somebody like that? Right? Well, that's not the master you're going to. He says that when you go and ask him for wisdom, he gives to you liberally, and he doesn't upbraid you. He doesn't get on to you and say, why are you asking for that? You can't replace God. (laughs) He has no fear of you. Um, You can't get that high, but he wants you to grow in grace. And so you need to know where the source for that wisdom is. It's him. It's good for you, going through those trials in particular, to be seeking the Lord, to be earnest on your knees, asking the Lord, How do I do this? How do I serve you? How do I go through this? How do I count this as joy? Lord, I need your wisdom. Recognizing that you need wisdom, guess what? That's a sign of humility, right? It's when we think we've got it all figured out, we're wrapped up in our own pride, right? And that's when we need some humbling, right? Whether we humble ourselves, that's the preferred method, or the Lord humbles us. That's going to hurt worse. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. That's, that's, That's your admonition to do it yourself. He can humble you but it has consequences, okay? So, you're asking the Lord, you're asking in faith, not wavering, not being the double-minded man, right? That double-minded man, God wants his foot over here in the world, say, yeah, I really like all this stuff, and then I kind of want to serve the Lord too. It's, you, you, you can't have it both ways. You know, that guy's never going to be stable. You know, it's just, he's as stable as trying to you know, build a construction project on the top of a, a wave, right? It just doesn't work really well. Right? It's going to topple, it's going to fall over. Let not that man think he'll receive anything of the Lord. All right? And then talking about these trials, this is, you know, brother, when you're in a low state, when you've been made low, and yet you're made, made high, if the Lord lifts you up from that, you know, whether it's poverty or health or whatever, when you've been, been low and the Lord raises you up, he says, rejoice. That's great. But then he gives the counterpoint of, okay, if you've been a high point and you're made low, you can rejoice too. All right? Why? Because the Lord's reminding you that this, this is just temporary. We're just pilgrims here. This is all flashing, you know, you have a really scorching hot day out there and you got some really pretty flowers. Or that, hot, that sun can get hot enough that, that more, in that morning that flower can be so beautiful. By the afternoon that sun can just scorch it and it can be dry. It's all get out and it's just completely dead. He says, that's your whole life. That's the illustration there. It's a pretty flower in the morning, afternoon sun beats down to it, dries it up in the crisp. That's your whole life. And so when you're having those downturn moments, the Lord's just reminding you of the temporary nature of all that you're going through. And what does that do? It refocuses you on the long term, right? So, we're blessed. Blessed when you're endureth temptation. For he shall, when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Well, when are you done being tried? 
Congratulations, you're dead. You're going to have trials your whole life. Don't be looking for the escape hatch, right? It's, it's, it's not going to exist, right? You are going to be tried your whole life, but when you are done being tried, that's when you receive the crown of life, and that's just another description for eternal life, the pinnacle of life, the best life that you can have. I'm living my best life. No, you're not, tiger. Not here, right? You're looking forward to your best life. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted with God. So as you're going through his trials, don't blame God because you got yourself into trouble. He says, when you're going after things that are wrong, it's just from your own natural evil heart. You wanted to do the wrong things. It comes from your lust and you think on it, you act on it, you plan on it, you get there, and then you get the consequences of that, and it's unpleasant. Well, don't blame God. It, it came from you. It came. That's, that's us, right? There's nothing that I do that I can blame God for. It's me. Now, there's nothing good that I do that I can take credit for. Because anything good that I do, that's only by the grace of God. Right? He's enabled it. He's encouraged it. He's fostered it. Give Him all the glory. Anything good I do, praise God entirely. Right? Don't keep it for myself. Anything wrong that I do, well, I'm going to have to own all that. That's not Him. Okay? So we're not confusing ourselves of where the good gifts come from. They come from God above. Right? And it goes on to remind us about how we speak. And there is a lot about speaking in this book. Wherefore, beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, slow to anger. Why? Because your anger does not work the righteousness of God. You claim to be a follower of God, you want to serve Him, and you're getting bent out of shape and ripping people up, and you're just all upset. You're not furthering God's plans at all. Your wrath doesn't further His righteousness. Let it go. That's not how we speak. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. Slow to wrath. Right? He gives some practical admonitions about laying apart the filthiness, the vileness that's within this world. Lay that aside. The superfluity of naughtiness. You know, that's just that excessive evil. Everything that's around us. We could, we could, it's easy to tap into it. It's easily accessible on your phone, on your computer, on your TV. You can see it all. And, you know, for the little bit, you know, credit card payment here, you can indulge in most of it. Right? Lay it aside. It's not good for you. It doesn't work in righteousness. It doesn't benefit you. It doesn't help you grow. Lay it aside. And instead, receive with meekness, again, humility, the engrafted word. Receive that word. Now, God, when you're born again, He has written His law into your heart. All right? Listen to it. Read the literal text so you can help understand it more and be able to talk more about it you know, in a more, not educated manner, but as you're growing, right? You're having a more um, sophisticated knowledge about who God is and what He expects of you. How can you glorify Him? Alright? But as you're receiving the Word, what are you doing? Well, you're not just passively listening. You're not just reading just for the sake of knowledge. You're applying it. You're becoming a doer or a performer of the Word. Alright? Not just hearers. Because if you're just a hearer, you're just deceiving yourself. That's someone who gives lip service. Oh yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. I love Him. You know, He's great. But you can't tell anything else about my life other than what my mouth may be doing that I actually believe those things. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll know that you're born again because you're loving the brethren. Well, if you don't love coming to church and you don't love the people around here and you don't want to engage in it, does it really act like you? Does Does it really seem like you're being a doer? Or is it just deceiving yourself? All right, and you know, later on it says, you know, if any man among you seem to be religious, if he's doing the right things, 
but he doesn't bridle his tongue. You know, he doesn't get a, a halter on it. Doesn't contain it. He just allows you know vile, um, whether it's profanity. That's one way for having you know unbridled tongue. Other can be sharpness, bitterness, lacerating other people with our with our words, um, talking about the things of the world. Right? You can come in here. You can hear a good sermon. You go out there and you spend thirty minutes in the lunchroom, and all you're talking about is the junk of the world. Right? Whether it's politics or sports or whatever, it's all just going to go away. What are we spending our time and energy on? Right? You know, it says if he's you know not bridling his own tongue, he's deceiving his own heart. His religion is vain. What's pure religion? Undefiled. Before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their fiction. That doesn't mean just show up. You know, these are the people who are most in need. The widows and the fatherless. Those who, who cannot provide for themselves. It doesn't mean just show up and say, hey, how you doing? Here's a cake. No, it means to, to minister to them. To help provide those needs and, notice the and, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. All that admonition before, laying apart those things, do it. Okay, so that was the first chapter of James. Second chapter deals with uh, partiality. It says, it is inconsistent for you as a follower of Christ to have respect of persons, to show favoritism, partiality. Well, this person's got more money than this one. This one drives a nicer car than this one. And it's not just wealth. You can have any degree that you attribute more value to someone. Well, you've been a primitive Baptist for 30 years, and you're only one, so I like you more. (laughs) Right? And you say, well, that's silly. Yeah, it is. But it also happens. We use the modern term cliques. Well, you're not in my clique. You're not in my circle. You're whatever. It's where we build these little interior walls around ourselves Y'all, these things ought not be. Right. We are one body here in the church. And that's who it's writing about. This is in the church. This isn't writing about the problems in the world. The world's got problems. That's not ours to fix in here. Right? Right into the church. Not having partiality. Um, you know, and he gives some practical reasons for why it doesn't even make sense to give preference to the rich. They're the ones who are going to draw you before the judges and they're going to blaspheme your name and people are going to listen. Poor man can't do that. He doesn't care. Lord's chosen the poor, um, but rich in faith to be heirs of the kingdom. All right? But you despise the poor. All right? So it's reminding us of laying those carnal ideas, those carnal preferences, and saying, those don't need to come into the church. Lay them aside. These are things that, that ought not be. All right? All right, so we're just going to continue moving on in chapter 3. He gets to this really important verse that I think is just almost a key for this book. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. I think that there is a problem about folks wanting to be in charge, wanting to be perceived to be the leader, wanting to be the one that folks look to, that had followers. And when you're doing that, when you've got, um, you know, it's, it becomes factions, it becomes, you know, basically political parties of who am I going to follow? Is it you? Is it going to you? And you're going to follow me? And, and how am I going to build myself up? Well, in the, the corporate world, the way you work your way up the food chain is you either perform better or you make someone else look worse. Right? Talk bad about them. You have those whisper campaigns. All those little things, you're going to see the next two chapters dealing with all those nasty things that happen when you're trying to make yourself look good, when you're trying to work up the, ca- the, the chain. It says, don't do that. It says, in fact, if you're going to um, be a leader, be a teacher, you need to recognize there's a higher standard that you're held to. And it's dangerous. It's a weighty, weighty thing. It's not something to be idly approached. Okay? And then it goes on to saying that it's really easy to cause someone else to sin or to offend with what you say. 
particularly when you're in the role of a leader or teacher, right? And that's the whole chapter about your little tongue. Your little tongue can get you in a lot of trouble. Well, the crux of that is that you're leading men astray because you're not teaching the right things. And so don't just don't just pursue this role because you want the glory or accolades or men's applause or anything like that. No, know that you've got a very high standard that you're being held to. Okay, and that you know with our mouths we need to be consistent. What we're saying. It can't be one hand over here. Oh, I love the Lord and I love His people over here. And the very next thing, man, so-and-so just drives me nuts. Right? There's an inconsistency there that we need to lay that aside. Right? We shouldn't have sweet water coming out over here and salt water coming out here. It's the same source, right? It should be consistent. Okay? And then in 13 of chapter 3, it talks about whosoever is a wise man and dude with knowledge among you, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. All right, good conversation. If you've got someone who's really wise among you, and this could be including yourself, how do you demonstrate that wisdom? It's not the whisper campaigns. It's not trying to drag people down or make them look bad to make yourself look good. What do you do? Let him show out of a good conversation your consistent manner of life, the whole manner of life, his works with meekness of wisdom. So you've got humility, you've got a doer, and you've got one who's consistent. That's wisdom from above, okay? As opposed to the wisdom of this world, the wisdom that causes strife and envy and anger and hardship. If you have bitter envying in your heart and strife in your hearts, you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Lie not against the truth. This wisdom descended not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Okay? And you say, well, well, I don't want to be a pastor, so this doesn't apply to me. Okay? Have you ever wanted your opinion to matter more in the church than anyone else's? Alright? If the result of caring about you being right is so much so that you'd rather there be uh, contention rather than with meekness and humility addressing an issue, then yeah, this does apply. Okay? So the, the, the you know, literal upshot of this, who's, who are you going to follow? Who are the wise men among you? It says those that are acting like Christ in meekness, demonstrating it day by day, consistently, not ones who are causing strife and bitterness and envy. Right? The wisdom that comes from above, right? that's what we want. That which is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, just like our Heavenly Father, right? Our Heavenly Father who you can ask Him for wisdom and He gives it liberally, well, you should be able to go with peaceable and gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So how do you describe having that good conversation full of works? There it is. That's what you're living out. Okay? David, you okay? You hurting? I'm sorry. He's been having a rough day with that. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. All right, and then chapter 4 gets into some real practical issues about the problems that are going on in these churches. And it's not written to a specific church, but it's described as wars. There are wars and fightings among you. Where do they come from? Come from your own lust within you. All right. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war and you have not because you ask not. So you, you can feel the conflict that's among these folks, right? Where does it come from? It comes from their pursuing carnal means within the church to 
have carnal obtain, uh, desires. Because even if you're asking for something, you're praying for it, but you're asking for something that you don't need. You're asking for something that you can consume upon your lusts, all right? your, your natural lusts. It says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. It's, it's talking about spiritual adultery. You are cheating on God. You say that God is your, your chief love, that He is the top number one in your life, and yet you put something else in there, you're cheating on God. You're an adulteress, adulterer. Know ye not that friendship to the world is enmity with God. You cannot have it both ways. You can't say, I'm going to be in the world and doing the things of the world and enjoying all that, and over here, and yeah, I'm going to follow God too. They're mutually exclusive. It's either you're doing the things of the world or you're following God. If you're following God faithfully, you're going to be fighting with everything you've got to lay those things down. Because it doesn't work His righteousness. It doesn't bring Him glory. All right? The spirit that's within us lusteth to envy. You know, that's, that's our carnal nature. It wants that stuff. And that's what you're battling. But he gives more grace. As God gives you more grace. You can battle it. He says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Again, get the, the wisdom that's from above. It's humble. That's who he's going to give grace to. So admonition, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. These are all very practical things. Well, how are you doing that? You're doing it by all the things He said before. Laying down that superfluity of naughtiness, humbling yourself, seeking God, seeking His face, trying to glorify Him in all that you do. And when the devil presents you with temptations, temptations, and he's going to pick ones that you like, right? He knows your lusts. He's going to pick the ones that are particular to you. If you don't have any problem with this one over here, well, he's not going to slide that your way. Right? But so you're going to resist the devil. Resist him, and what's the say he'll do? He'll flee from you. Okay? You're drawing nigh to God. So be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Why do you have to be afflicted and mourn and heaviness? He's saying, Because y'all have been doing it wrong. You have been trying to have the carnal world, the cake, and enjoy that and have you know, the blessings of the Lord too. He said, you're so happy. I mean, you're rich. You're lifted up. You've got everything you want. You're, you're just, but you don't realize that you're, you're naked and you're destitute and that your pride has blinded you to the truth. He's saying, lay that all aside. Let that laughter that you've got in the things of the world, let it become mourning. Right? All the things that Paul had, he said, I count all that as dung, right? It's just loss. It's nothing to my benefit now. Let me have Christ. Let me have Him alone. I like, follow Him and seek after Him. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Let the Lord lift you up. You don't have to be on this campaign to say, Look, I'm pulling myself up by my bootstraps. I'm great. I'm wonderful. You should like me. And if you don't like me, I'm going to take you out, right? And we chuckle. How often do we do it? We get upset when someone doesn't like us enough. Or they didn't treat me right or whatever. They didn't act like I'm as important as I think I am. <laughs> Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and let... Him lift you up. Right? You lift it up in Him. Alright, so the continuation of all that thought as we're not having this internal conflict within promoting ourselves within the church, within our lives. Verse 11 says, Speak not evil one against another, brethren. He that speaketh evil is brother and judges his brother. Speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. Now that word evil there doesn't just mean evil in general. If you look it up, it means literally slander. Slander means to tell lies or falsehoods about another bro- another brother. I use the term whisper campaign. That's kind of a modern term, but if you want to 
uh, ruin somebody's reputation, you don't have to go out and, and you know make this big allegation. You just kind of whisper some little seeds of doubt over here and a little over here, and people start spreading it for you. People love a good gossip, right? And before you know it, you've ruined their reputation, and, and no one even knows it's you, right? But here it is. Speak not evil one against another. Don't slander your brothers, right? And again, it's that role of not being many masters. You're not trying to have it your way, not trying to be the top dog. Speak not evil one against another, brethren. Why? He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother, that judges means to condemn. There's a difference between looking at sin and seeing that sin. That's to discern. There's another between looking at somebody and saying, you're engaged in that sin, you're not worthy. You're going to hell. Y'all, don't make those determinations. That's not your role. Right? Your job is not to condemn anybody to any eternal destination. Right? That's God's role. He's the only one who's able to save and condemn. Right? But you are authorized to look and discern and say, that behavior is not right. And, particularly within the church, to exhort. That's part of what the brethren are doing up here is exhorting one another to call to attention. This is something we need to do. Well, if you see that among us, go directly. And it's much easier to go directly early in the process until ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it until you got the situation like in Corinth where it had been going on and everyone knew about it but no one wanted to do anything. And they, somehow they got in their head, well, we're just lifted up with pride and it's kind of a good thing anyway. And look how, how forward-thinking we are, right? There's this nasty fornication that was going on within that church and no one had said anything about it. And it had been going on so long that Paul had heard about it. It's commonly reported, right? Much better to address something head-on and early. All right, so that's that's discerning. And so, so sometimes when it uses the word judge and it's using a positive sense, where you're told to do it, that's when you're discerning. You're recognizing that which is right and wrong. You are called to do that. But as far as to have the final say, bang the gavel and say, "All right, you're condemned. You're not worthy." That's not your role. All right. He that slandereth his brother judges him, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but of a judge. All right? Are any of y'all on the judgment day going to be the one who's sitting on that throne with the final gavel? No. no. We're all subject. We're the ones who are, you know, we're the defendants. Right? Let's not confuse our roles. There's only one lawgiver. That's the legislator. That's the one who gave it. That's God himself. Who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest one another? Again, we get lifted up with pride, thinking that we're more than we are, and somehow I'm more than you. What am I doing? I'm showing respect to persons, right? I'm respecting myself more than you. We're all sinners and fall short, and any of us are saved are only saved by the grace of God. Who gets all the glory? God. Who's not worthy of looking down their nose on anybody? Us. Right? Go to now. Alright, so we got a transition here in verse 13. Go to now. Ye that say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. So he's saying, all right, I'm talking to some people. Some people who make some real big plans and say, this is what we're going to do. And obviously these plans are pretty long term. You're going to go, we're going to go over here to this city. We're going to stay there a year and we're going to trade and we're going to make money. And that's, that's what we're going to do. And you just say, boom. All right. And he says, all right, y'all who, who make plans like that and talk like that and brag about what you're going to do. He says, whereas... You know not what shall be on the morrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. For what is your life? What's your whole life? Not just tomorrow. What's your whole life? Your life, it is even a vapor. Right? You've been boiling water, making some tea out there. You get one little bubble and you get a 
steam. You ever going to see that steam again? No. That's your whole life. Right? That's not even as long as the dash on the tombstone, right? It's just a <laughs> That's your life. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say so. Okay, you that brag about what you're going to do, long-term plans, and you don't know about tomorrow, here's what you ought to say. That if the Lord will... Now, sometimes we just kind of abbreviate this. Lord willing, right? Listen to what it says. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Sometimes we, we even kind of mess that up today. Well, we'll, we'll go do something, Lord willing. If it's the Lord's will, I'll do that. The key in that is if it's the Lord's will and He lets me live, and I'll do such and such. Right? What's the reminder in all that? Patrick, please tell Is that your time is short. And you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You know, we've got songs about living like you're dying, right? And what do most of those songs, because they're worldly songs, focus on? I'm going to serve myself while i got a chance. Y'all, we do that every day. What should we be doing? Well, it's pure and undefiled religion, right? To visit the widows and the fatherless and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Well, if this is my last day in the world... How am I going to serve God the most? right? Or what am I going to miss out on because I've made plans that I've structured my life around saying, well, this is more important. Right? And this, this comes into play in just a couple of verses that these plans are more important than this which I know I should do. And eventually I'll get to it. Y'all ever, you know, I know I need to do this. It's right. It'll please God. And I'll do it at some point. Right? We ought to say that the Lord's will we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. These are the ones who are playing it. I've got my big plans. Look at me, how great I am. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to make money. It's going to be great, right? It says all such rejoicing is evil. And that word evil is differently from the other. That's not slander. That's talking about harmful. It's not that it's intrinsically bad, but the effects of it are bad. You're boasting about what you're going to do, all these great big plans. What are you, who, who are you saying is in control? You. You're acting like you're in control. Is tomorrow promised? No. If it comes, who gave it to you? God! Right? Instead of having that humility that this whole thing about is, are we being humble before the Lord, or are we putting ourselves as, we're the boss. We're in charge. Right? All such rejoicing in your boasting is evil. You're, you're happy about how, bad, how big you can brag about it. right? Bragging in and of itself is not wrong if you're bragging on the right things. You can brag on God as much as you want. Because guess what? You can't oversell Him. He's bigger than any descriptors you've got. He's better than anything you can describe. You're allowed to brag on your God. That's fine. Rejoice in that bragging, but bragging in yourself. And what you're going to do, and all these plans that you're made, and locking yourself into them brings us into verse 17. Therefore, that therefore, that I mean it relates back to what we're just talking about. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You've made these great plans, you've locked yourself in, you're come whatever, I'm doing this. Hey, I know that I should do that. That's a good thing. That's something the Lord is telling me I ought to do. It's consistent with His Word. This is an opportunity to show mercy or to teach or exhort or whatever it is. There are a lot of different ways to do good. It's not just you know pulling over and changing somebody's tire or not just giving money or whatever. There's 
a multitude of things that you know that are good, if you know to do it and you choose not to, says that's a sin. My step-grandfather, whenever he prays, he always prays about those sins of omission and sins of commission. This is a sin of omission where you know to do good and because of your pride or your schedule or whatever it is, you choose, nope, not going to do it. Maybe I'll get around to it. Maybe whatever. says, that's, that's a sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. All right, now, remember that verse back in three one about being a master? The greater condemnation? Well, the more you learn and the more you're presenting yourself as being a teacher and an instructor, guess what? The more opportunities you should know about doing good in your heart, in your mind, in your tongue. And every time you don't do it, it's sin. So there is responsibility that comes with that growth. You're growing in grace. You're growing in knowledge. You're growing in responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. If you know to do good, I know that I ought not talk like this. And I don't do it. It's sin. Right? And many masters. Well, this theme continues straight into the next chapter. Go to now. So he's addressing another problem. You've got those who are braggadocious about their plans. This is the future. This is what we're going to do. Right? Not giving credit to the Lord and knowing the Lord's going to, you know, if the Lord lets me live. Go to now. Ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Okay. Go to. That literally means to lead away. Go on, rich man. Here's what's going to happen. And he's not condemning them just from them being rich. Right? That's not a problem to be rich. The Lord can bless you to be rich. We talked about that back in the first chapter. You know, if you're low and the Lord brings you, brings you up in your financial state, that's fine. Rejoice. But what do you do while you're there? Well, here we're going to have an example of those who are not doing the right thing. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. All right, corrupted. That means literally means to putrefy. So you've got this, you know, mountain of wealth, and it says it's just rotten. Now ever kept a roast in the bottom of the fridge for too long? <laughs> kind of opens up, smells a little bit, may even have something growing in it or something wiggly. Right? That's what's description of the corruption of your riches. You've held on to them. The Lord's blessed you with all this, and you've amassed it. You know, like that dragon in the Hobbit, right? He's sitting on all this gold, right? As it's all just going to rot away. Your garments are moth-eaten. You ever had something you put up in a box a long, long time ago and probably an heirloom family really cared for it, made it have wool in it, and you pull it out and it's got all these holes in it, right? That's why they got mothballs, apparently. Discourage you know, these bugs from eating your clothes. And that's what it's saying. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your, rust, your, your gold and silver is cankered. And that cankered literally means to rust. Uh, y'all ever had a grill for a while? Right. Season number one, that gas grill is looking pretty good. Season two, season three, you about where you can't see the bottom. Season four, you might as well just go ahead and chunk it because it's going to fall apart. It just rusts away. So that's what's going to happen to your silver and gold. All these things you put such value in. You went and you went to that city and you bought and traded and you go. You got to gather it up. It's all just going to rust away. And not only that, listen to this. Your gold and your silver, the rust of them shall be a witness against you. So the fact that you have them and they are rusted and haven't been used, haven't been used for the Lord's service, that rust 
is a witness. Witnesses, you know, call someone to the stand and testify against you. It's evidence. You haven't used the Lord's goods because it's all His. Y'all are stewards. Anything you have is God's. It's in your keeping for His glory, for His good. The rest of them shall be a witness against you. And listen to this. And the rest of them shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ooh! Y'all ever seen in those movies about Vietnam where you get the, the phosphorus grenades where it's burning somebody and just eating them up? It's a pretty good description of what the rust of these wealth, these masses of riches that the Lord has given you that you've heaped up for yourself. And never turn around. He who knows to do good and doeth it not, him it is sin. Right? He'll be a witness against you and eat your flesh. Ye have heaped up treasure together for the last days. What's the last days? Ooh, that's, that's the final judgment day. Right? Lord, what have I done with the, the things that you've given me? Have I taken it and used it in your service? Right? The guy who had the five talents and got ten, it's not because he was so good at finance or commerce. That's not the lesson there. It's taking the master's goods and putting it into employment for the master's use. Right? You may have a ton of wealth, and if you don't use it for him, guess what? You're the guy who buried it in the hole and says, Here, here it's back. Right? The corruption within that silver and gold is going to testify against you. Alright? Behold, alright, then we get some some of the fraud that this rich man has has in, has done. Behold, the higher, this is the wages. Of the laborer who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by defraud, crieth. So if we'll hire somebody to go help him cut hay, and he says, I'm going to pay you this much. And then the payday comes, Will says, sorry, can't pay you. He says, the wages itself, the wages, this isn't even the guy that you're wrong. The wages are going to cry unto the Lord. The hire of the laborer crieth. And the cries of them which reap down and it have, are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. The wrongfully kept finances. Everything you do should be above board. It doesn't matter if anybody's going to find out about it. it. doesn't matter if the IRS is ever going to find out or audit. Everything you do should be with honesty and integrity. Because the wages themselves, the government may never find out. But the Lord knows. The wages, the finances itself, anything that you kept or gained wrongfully... It cries out to the Lord. And those that you wrong are crying out. And it says it enters into the Lord of Sabbath. That's not Sabbath. Sabbath. That means the Lord of armies. The Lord of hosts. Right? Sometimes we cry and we whine to someone who really has no power. Right? But when you cry unto the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of armies, the Old Testament, the Lord of hosts, you're, you're crying to somebody who has the ability to deal with it. Right? And this is this is this is really dangerous, right? This is a this is a warning against those rich men who are engaged in this, of that it will be heard, and it's going to be heard by one, the judge of all the world, but the one who has the power to deal with it. Don't feel like your wealth can somehow insulate you or cause you to escape. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You've had just an abundantly luxurious lifestyle. Ye have nourished your heart. That means fattened your heart. As in the day of slaughter. Alright, so in the day of slaughter, you've got you know, the animal that you've been you know, grooming all year, fattening it up. 
day you slaughter him, well, there's a lot of things you can't keep. And so it was kind of like a festival. It was kind of a feast day. There was going to be a party. And, you know, that would happen. And for, for folks that had animals, I mean, that was, that was a big deal. But it was rare, right? That wasn't something you wouldn't have the hog killing every day and have all the, the trimmings and everything that come with that. It would be, you know, maybe once a year or however often, but it was the exception to the rule. It says, you've been living your whole life as if it's the day of slaughter, living that overindulgence, overabundance in what you're eating, what you're consuming, your whole life is like every day is this massive holiday. You've condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Again, you is that one who's got the riches, who, who hauls you before the courts? Well, the rich man does. He can afford the attorney's fees, right? He says, you have spoken against the one who was in the right. Here it says you even had him killed. You know, had the wrong man blamed for the crime, the just, and it says he didn't resist you. Right? Our job here as being the just man in this role is not to right all the wrongs here. The Lord of hosts is going to take care of that. He's not resisting you. Because that reads in the very next verse, it says, Be patient, therefore, brethren. Those are the just. Those are the trials. The trials that you could be being the ones who are afflicted. That this rich man who hasn't paid you the wages, who's speaking against your name, who's defaming it, saying that you're the one who's wrong and that you committed this crime and you've stolen it and you should be killed for it. He says, don't resist them. Right? Instead, be patient. It's very, this is contrary to our, our natural automatons, right? Our, our, our natural nature says, man... You're going to wrong me. I'm going to suck you right back. You hit me once, I'll hit you twice as hard so you don't think about it. Right? That's not the instructions that we're given. Be patient. Be patient, therefore, brethren. When? For a week? For two weeks? Till the next Supreme Court finally does something? No. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. That's when all the wrongs are going to be righted. That's when everything is going to be sorted out and we're going to sit before the throne, and it's going to be a really bad day for a lot of people, and the best day of their life for all of God's people. And then he gives an illustration. It says, Behold, all right, take an example. The husbandman, all right, that's the guy who's, who's working in the vineyard. Behold the husbandman. He waiteth for the precious fruits of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and the latter rain. Old Testament talk about the, the, the growing seasons there over in the Middle East where they'd have the early rain and then some time later they'd have the later rain and you needed both the harvest to be just right. right? Well, if you got the first rain, you don't go out and immediately start picking the grapes. Why? They're not ready yet! Right? You're not a very good husbandman if you're picking a bunch of sour grapes. Right? That's not going to please the master. Well, the illustration here is that husbandman, he's waiting until everything is ripe. Right? He's got to have long patience. He's continuing to work in the vineyard, but he's waiting until the early and latter rains have come. That's our admonition. Have the long patience. Be ye also patient. Establish your heart. Remember we talked about that the other day. Establish your heart. Set your heart on a course. Be firm and resolute in that direction. And continue. Keep on trucking. Right? Until the Lord comes. For the call, coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It's getting nearer every day. I mean, not to be tongue-in-cheek here, but every day the Lord's coming is closer than it was yesterday. You got something to rejoice in this morning? Yeah, it's coming closer. And guess what? He's actually coming because He promised that He would. He said, I go to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and receive you. That way, where I'm at, you'll be with me. That's something to rejoice in. And so be patient. Are there going to be trials and afflictions here? Are they going to be terrible at times? 
Yes! Can you still count them as joy? Yes! Why? Because the Lord can use those terrible things for your benefit. And ultimately, even if the worst evil that's inflicted upon you, you feel like they're just going to get away with it. No, they won't. <laughs> right? The Lord says, vengeance is mine, and I'll repay. All right? So instead of being so bent out of shape about trying to fix this world, be patient. Continue doing what's right. In spite of everything around you, Encourage those around you to continue doing what's right. Don't let them get off track either. Sometimes that's pretty easy. If you have one who's like, wow, I just, you get off on this bent about how I'm going to fix things here, I'm going to get something right, I'm going to straighten it out, and then folks start following that person. And what do they do? They leave off what your focus is, which is following your first love. Right? There was that church over in Revelation who had many works. I mean, that was the description of it. There was works, and there was works, and, and latter more than the other, and they were doing a lot of things well, what have they forgotten? They have forgotten their first love. They have forgotten that they are servants of Jesus Christ and that they were serving Him and that they were to love Him. It's not about doing the things that make us look good or look busy or look important or any of that garbage. Right? We can do the right thing for the wrong reason and it be wrong. Right? Our motivation, that we need to check ourselves. Right? Make sure that what I'm doing is seeking the Lord in all things. And so grudge not one another, grudge not against one another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Grudge not one against one another. The Lord standeth at the door. That's a pretty good imagery for how close it is. Now, uh, you and I know the time of the Lord is different than our time, and we can't pin Him down to any particular day. Right? And if anybody's trying to do that, ignore Him, they're a false teacher but it says that we should be living in such a way that as if the judge is at the front door right now. Right? As if Christ is right there. Alright, kids, do y'all ever act different? When mama's about to come in the room, right? Mama sent you to clean your room, right? You've been in there 30 minutes. You've been kind of playing. You've been messing around, whatever. You hear mama's footsteps down the hallway. You hear her right at the door. Do you start acting a little bit different? You start cleaning furiously. You start doing like you're trying to obey what she told you to do all along. Maybe you're better than I did. That's what I did as a kid, right? <laughs> I was trying to present the image of, yes, I've been obedient to it, right? We should act in our service to the Lord as if He's right there. Not waiting until sometime way down the road, but right now. That's what we're looking forward to, and we're being patient to that. And then it gives the example of the prophets. It says, take my brethren... The prophets, you know, this is all the Old Testament. You still, these are faithful men of the Lord. And did their lives go awesome? No! They're doing the right thing and that they were defamed. They were, you know, yelled at and cursed at and told, Hush! Don't you talk about that. You're saying bad things about what might happen to us. Be quiet! If you don't be quiet, I'm going to... Yeah, and they did. They stoned them. Or they killed them. Yet... Take the brethren, take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Faithful service to the Lord. They suffered affliction, and yet they did it with patience, with fortitude, with enduring. They didn't give up. They didn't say, all right, I'm done. Now, there were some times the prophets got a little whiny. Why? Because they were human, just like me and you. Right? There'd be times they just lay down and say, all right, I, I've had enough, Lord. Just kill me now. 
And the Lord have to get a hold of them and, and teach them along. But patience in their affliction. That's the example that we've got. Don't feel like we're going to be different or special, right? Because He can use those afflictions for our good, right? Behold, we count them happy. We esteem them to be blessed, which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job. You read Job recently? He had a, lot, a rough experience. Rougher than probably anybody else, you know, short of Jesus. And have seen the end of the Lord. What was the end of that account? Right? He was blessed double than what he started with. Does that mean you're going to be blessed double here in this world? No. <laughs> it doesn't. But if you've got patience, <laughs> when the Lord comes, that will be the end. That will be the blessing that's beyond anything you can comprehend. It's so much better. We get so wrapped up, oh, I'd really like this car. I'd make it great. Man, to have a car that starts on the first time, that's, that's so nice. And then you get that car that starts the first time. Man, I'd like that car that has that color that I really like or that has you know under 100,000 miles or whatever. And then you just keep picking along, picking along. It'd be so nice. It'd be so nice. You know, get this house that doesn't have a roof, leaky roof and then you get the, this bedroom. I'm just... We do that sequentially because what do you have? Every time you get there, you discover, eh, it's nice. But it's not everything you thought it would be. It does not satisfy you because nothing in this world can satisfy you. Christ alone satisfies. And when that day comes, you'll have it. You'll have it. Everything. Not in tempered little doses. But you'll see him clearly. All the wrongs will be righted. All the misconceptions, because we've got misconceptions aplenty, right? Confusions and distortions and questions. I'll be put away. You'll have your Lord. And none of this else will matter. And it won't hurt. And you won't be thinking, man, I wish I'd done. It won't matter anymore. So, what do we do today? We live patiently, but we use each day and the resources that He's given us and all the talents and gifts that He's received, all those abilities that we have and the opportunities He presents, and we serve. We serve. That's what we're called to do. Serve. Right? Oh, He's a minister. You know what minister means? Servant. Right? Sometimes, oh, He's a minister. That's like it's a high title. Not really. It's a high responsibility, but it's a role of Service. He said in an example that we all serve. That was the example Christ came. I came not to be ministered to, but to minister. Put that in another language. I came not to be served, but to be a servant. So, servants of the living God, how are you going to serve Him? Not only today while you're here, but this afternoon after you leave, tomorrow when you wake up and go to work, or go to school, or every other aspect of your life. How are you serving are you taking those opportunities that you know to do good and doing them? Or are we going to slip back into those habits of being lazy and lackadaisical and cold and, you know, you know the easiness of it to just turn on the TV or the iPad or scroll through Facebook and just let our minds go mush, right? And just kind of be sucked in to all the garbage of this world. I mean... Satan's a smart feller. He's not the smartest, but he is he is smart. Right? Distraction is a wonderful tool to keep you from being about the Lord's business. 
And are you distracted? Do you have a multitude of distractions available now? Right? hundred years ago, Will, when you put the mule up and the sun goes down, I don't know, did they even have radios a hundred years ago? Maybe 120 years ago. I mean, the opportunities for distraction were much, much fewer. And so do we need to stand fast against the wiles of the devil and put on the armor? Because he's, he's there. You have a spiritual warfare. You're not going to defeat the world. Your job is to stand fast against Satan. Resist him. He'll flee from you. And if you're serving the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind, he's going to bless that. Are you still going to have trials? Yeah. Are they going to be good for you? Unfortunately, or fortunately rather, fortunately, the Lord is so big that He can take what things that even when we mess up, when we are off base, as He's correcting us and teaching us, He can still use it for His glory. Does that mean we continue to do the wrong thing to get Him glory? No. God forbid, this is over in Romans, serve Him. Serve Him today. Be the servant that you're called to be. Thank you all for your time and attention. Anybody have a number you'd like to sing in closing? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host.